Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 27 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around, and if you have time, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Joining me today is the good brother, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you today? Oh, it is a rainy Sunday here in North Carolina, and we are both lacking sleep after UFC and New Japan, but we're here. We're here to talk the wrestling. That's right. Yeah, it's been uh, weirdly rainy the past couple days here. It's like a... It sucks because it makes me not want to go out anywhere because it takes me a while to get in and out of the car and I don't feel like getting like fucking drenched. But <laughs> I hear that. I don't even want to get in and out of the car even, you know, in, in my state and with the rain because rain sucks. Yeah, thankfully it was, uh, I, I kind of got in and out of the rain this morning because uh, I took the girls out for breakfast and... We, we went out, it was like sprinkling, and we got there, it like rained all the way there, and then when we got to where we were going, it wasn't raining again, so I kind of dodged a bullet this morning, so that was good, but yeah, it was a, a lot of rain this weekend, but otherwise, uh, a pretty uh, busy weekend as usual, um, you know, got to New Japan, we had a super showdown on Friday, which we'll talk about, and... Uh, oh boy. Oh yes, I know, it's like, <laughs> Uh, a show if there was ever a show and uh yeah i I covered that i covered the uh impact wrestling and night you can't missed show and uh that was that was actually a good little show and then uh dominion so it was uh definitely a full weekend but uh and once you got past super showdown it was a lot of good stuff yeah, once he got past Super Showdown, it was I didn't watch a night you can't miss. I was watching the the UFC show on Saturday, which was a really great show as well. So I was happy that at least that was good. And like right when that ended, Dominion started. It's like all right, guess we're not catching a one hour nap. We're just gonna go and let's do this. But at least Saturday night, Sunday morning was was good stuff. Friday afternoon, not so much. Yeah, I heard the UFC show was really good. Uh... Until uh, Cowboy Cerrone blew his nose and ended up... Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was a hell of a fight. And then he... You know, he's a veteran. He should know better. But at the same time, like, when your nose is stuffy like that and there's blood just kind of chunked up in there, your kind of natural instinct is to just blow that shit out. And that, that unfortunately, makes your eye worse. Uh, but it was a great 10-minute fight. And then the two main events were, were really good. Like, the whole card top to bottom i hate these seven hour ufc shows i typically skip them at least the the prelims because i don't know 90 percent of the fighters on there but this card uh i knew most of the fighters and it, they all delivered so it was a really strong show that's good to hear because i ufc is one of those things i haven't watched a ton of uh following the move to espn but uh I know a lot of people have not been happy about some of the recent shows, but then I heard just a ton of good things about last night. So that's a uh, that's excellent to hear. It's always nice. I I like the ESPN shows because they start at like eight or sometimes like seven, 
instead of you know all the ufc shows on fox sports would start at like 10 o'clock and you know you know the fox sports pacing they would it'd be a four or five fight main card starts at 10 doesn't end till like two and now the espn shows the the fight night shows at least not the the pay-per-views they they're starting at eight so they're over by like 10 11 o'clock and it's like this is great right here so the move to espn has been good for that at least there's nothing wrong with that then yeah nothing wrong with kind of getting in getting out and better pacing and the the worst things ever were those uh the ultimate fighter finales those last like 19 hours the, the worst thing ever is just the ultimate fighter period in 2019. Yeah. I, yeah. Are they, are they still coming back with more ultimate fighter? As far as I know, like from everything I've read they're they're going to keep doing it. I can't tell you who has won past Roy Nelson in, in season 10. Maybe Tony Ferguson won a season after that. He's been around for a while. I don't even remember if he won his season, but I I don't know any of these guys. That show has uh, it jumped the shark a long, long time ago. But that's how it got started on 411. You guys had an ad for Ultimate Fighter reviewers, and I pitched in to review season five, the great Jens Pulver, BJ Penn season. And that had uh, Nate Diaz and, and Gray Maynard and all those guys. And, yeah, that was, uh, was uh, that's how I got started on 411. And look at us now, Larry. I know, yeah. I can't I can't tell you who won the last few seasons, and I cover the damn thing. So, I just, yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess, I, I'm sure I'll find out when it's coming back, whenever I start getting emails about, here's your screener for the upcoming episode. I'm going to be like, oh, okay. Thanks. This bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, oh, Ultimate Fighter. But anyway, let's uh, let's spend the next how many ever minutes burying this fucking show, <laughs> WWE Super Showdown, a show from Jeddah, parts unknown because we can't say Saudi Arabia because it'll upset people. But they're going there and making the money anyway. They don't care that much. Uh, yeah, you know what the thing is, is? Everybody likes to call this a glorified house show, and I wish they would stop because that's an insult to house shows because house shows are actually fun. Yeah. And, uh, well, I didn't think this one was. A uh, long, long, boring uh, kickoff show with nothing happening. Uh, they finally uh, went to the ring for the Revival and the Usos. The Usos defeated the Revival. Seven minutes, your thoughts. It was fine. Uh, show peaked right here. Um, you know, it, it was a good match. You put the Usos and the Revival in the ring together. It's it's tough to have a bad match with those two. The problem was it was seven minutes. The, the storyline has sucked, and it, it felt just overall meaningless because they'll probably wrestle again at stomping grounds pre-show or they'll wrestle on Raw or SmackDown with the wild card rule. Like, who the fuck knows? But... Yeah, it was fine. It was just too short to to really mean anything. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. Um, they're obviously capable of way better, and um, yeah, you can't. I didn't expect much from it being on the pre-show, but it wasn't bad, and it was better than the vast majority of the stuff on the main show. Yeah. So the main show opened up WWE Universal Champion Seth Rollins. 
Defeating Baron Corbin 11 minutes, 25 seconds. It was a solid match that involved way too much stalling from Baron Corbin. Uh, It wasn't bad. It was a very house show match. The worst part of the whole thing was the fact that the finish was Baron Corbin gets a chair. He argues with the ref. The ref yells at him, takes it away from him, shoves him. Rollins then cradles him for the win. So, allegedly, your tough babyface pretty much needed the referee's help to win. And looked like shit doing so. Uh, Seth Rollins won via 24-7 title method. Um, I I didn't hate this match. I think Baron Corbin is a guy who... I could be completely wrong here, but we we had the discussion last podcast about guys improve in five years. And you can see the improvements in Baron Corbin from last year to this year. Like, it's there. He's wrestling better matches. His heat segments of long stalling shim locks aren't quite as long. They're still there, but fuck, Randy Orton made a career over that shit. And he's a, you know, he's, he's the... I don't know if he's the top heel, but he's presented like a top heel. And so that's kind of, that's their formula in WWE to, to grab a chin lock. Um, but otherwise I think Baron Corbin is improving in the ring and he had a good match here. And Seth Rollins is obviously very good. The, the ending sucked. Uh, Why is Baron Corbin grabbing a chair? Why is he arguing with the ref? Why Seth Rollins with the, the roll up? Like you really like, that's how you have to beat Baron Corbin is the roll up. And then Corbin gets his heat back anyway and and lays him out after the match. It's just the, the ending wasn't good. They, they got in their own way with the booking as they typically do. Um, But the match itself was, was, was good. I, I didn't mind it. The worst part of it all is the fact that they only did that finish so that they could set up a rematch for stomping grounds. And, yeah, and like this uh, annoys me as well. Is I'm sure we'll we'll talk about the stomping grounds matches when we get to the announcement. But it's like no more automatic rematches, and then but everybody who fucking lost on this show is getting an automatic rematch because the, of heel stupidity and and baby faces cheating. So yeah, it it was dumb, but whatever. And then after the match, uh, Baron Corbin uh, laid out Rollins. Brock arrived to tease the uh, cash-in. This led to a Keystone Cops deal where Heyman was trying to get into the ring, tripped, fell down, dropped the briefcase. <laughs> Rollins low-blowed Brock, beat him with chair shots in the briefcase, hit Blackout into the briefcase, and stood tall as Brock looked rather pissed off and sore and... His elbow looked like shit after they did a close-up later. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure he wasn't very fucking happy, and uh, he looked pretty roughed up. Yeah, I like this angle, though. Um, I They've completely just... I don't know what they're doing with the, the Brock Lesnar cash-in. They, they tease an announcement one week. They don't deliver on that. Brock finds out he... Um, has a whole year he's like well he's cashing in tonight but then he just beats the shit out of rollins and and doesn't cash in and then he goes to saudi to cash in and he gets thwarted i like the idea of brock just holding on to the thing for as long as possible and just kind of coming out and and teasing stuff and whatever like but don't give me these oh he's definitely cashing in now he's definitely gonna cash in tonight just just be subtle about it and that's what wwe 
doesn't do very well is they just have to beat you over the head with everything and that that's what this this briefcase is is you, you get beat over the head with it um i'd appreciate i'd like it if it's just he's there he's got the briefcase we all know he has the briefcase and that's that but i did like this angle let, let the man hold the briefcase for a little while rollins thwarting the attempt was was good and yeah it sucks to be brock but i'm sure you know he can count his money on the other with the other arm and hand yeah, he's, he's crying himself to his sleep on a fucking uh, bed stuffed with millions of dollars. I'm sure he yeah, gets he's good. shit. So, <laughs> next up, uh, WWE Intercontinental Champion, the Demon Finn Balor, defeated Andre Andrade at 11.25 via Finn. Uh, I thought it was another solid match overall. I thought the work was good, fun, and clean. But the real problem was is that it seemed like nobody cared. Uh, the the atmosphere for this was just dead. Uh, Andrade lasted way longer with the demon than I thought he would, and definitely one of those matches that in front of a hotter crowd probably would have felt way better than it was. Yeah, they they had a good match. The stuff they were doing was very good and fun, and they worked really hard. The problem was, as you said, no one cared about it. Like this, this crowd, they're there to see stars. And Finn Balor got a cool entrance, but he's not presented as any kind of a star. And Andrade is is not a star either. So it just fell flat on this crowd and. Despite the despite the hard work of, of both men, it just it didn't matter. You put you put this match on, you know, a random WWE pay per view in Chicago or New York or Los Angeles. Any, I mean, really any U.S. market that has uh, an appreciation for good wrestling, and it it gets over. But the the Saudi crowd is. I don't want to say that they just don't care about the wrestling, but there's a reason they load these shows up with these old time stars and whatnot. And it's because that's who this crowd for the most part wants to see. Yeah, it was a shame because they, they did work really hard, but just uh, the, the atmosphere was just so dead. And that, that's the worst part of it all was that like it made it feel way longer than 11 minutes. Because it's like they're working hard, but it's like generally to silence. And, you, you know, there's a lot of people that took issue when I said stuff like that in my review. But here's the thing. Just because they pop like once during a match for a move, or because during Triple H and Randy Orton after 20 minutes of silence, they chant, this is awesome because they each kicked out of a finisher, doesn't mean the crowd is into it. Yeah, that, that is not how that works, okay? So it's a shame, but it's just fact of life. So we move- you're, you're right about it feeling longer than 11 minutes. I, I didn't realize it was only 11 minutes. It felt very long. I think even Michael Cole said, like, this is the longest anybody's last with Demon. I'm like, wasn't he the Demon against Seth Rollins uh, at SummerSlam? And I'm pretty sure that match went over 11 minutes, but this match maybe felt longer than that Seth Rollins match. Yeah, and it was just all due to the atmosphere, man. I mean, they tried, but it's... Yeah, so no bueno there. But uh, next up, the best in the world, Shane McMahon, defeated Roman Reigns, 845 via pin. 
first of all, my main issue with this is why does everybody, no matter their stature, get to work like 50-50 competitive wrestling matches? Shane is a 50-year-old fucking businessman that is not a regular wrestler. First of all, he shouldn't be going 50-50 with Roman Reigns, let alone controlling over Roman Reigns in any fucking way. But in the year of our Lord 2019, Shane McMahon won another pay-per-view match. Yes, he had help, but the fact was, I don't care if it's a ref bump and Drew getting involved and then Shane winning. Shane won again. The match sucked. Shane looked like he was going to die. Thankfully, he didn't because it was like 100 degrees there. And Shane, you know, he gets fucking beat red, like walking to the ring and cutting a promo. And then he's out there in his baseball jersey and he looks like he's going to melt. So, and then like the worst part is, is this is going to continue its its fucking stomping ground because Roman's going to face Drew. And one of two things is going to happen. Either Roman just gets to steamroll Drew again, or they're going to fuck Roman again. And that's going to lead to the handicap match at Extreme Rules where Roman then finally overcomes the odds. And we all know that booking is what really made everybody love him in the first place. It's, oh my god, this match. Let me say something positive. I don't know if it's a positive, but let me try to be fair and objective. The best in the world thing, in a way, makes sense that Shane would keep winning and keep presenting himself as the best in the world. The problem is, and it's the same thing with the Baron Corbin thing. I I credited WWE for following up on Baron Corbin, beating Angle, and and making that mean something. They have ideas. They have kind of halfway decent ideas sometimes. They're putting the wrong people in these positions. You can do this best in the world thing. You can have somebody play this Shane McMahon role. You can have them beat Roman Reigns, which is a big win. Drew McIntyre interference or not, like you pinned Roman Reigns one-on-one. That's a big win. It should be designed to get over like a chicken shit heel. It's designed to get over Shane McMahon. That's the issue with all of this. The, The match sucked. Shane is... It was a glorified squash, honestly. Like, Shane got way too much in on Roman. Like, Roman looks so stupid just selling for this guy. And, oh, the the ending was... I don't have an issue with the ending. I, I have an issue with just who they are putting over in this whole ordeal. Because Shane McMahon's not not the future he's, he's not even the present he's, he's nothing he should be used as a a special attraction kind of guy uh, or a mouthpiece he should not be beating roman reigns it's it's so dumb i i don't get this company the the match was bad i, I hated everything about this yeah i agree with you the best in the world thing it's a great heater gimmick Because it gets great heat, but like you said, this should be designed for some kind of douchebag chicken shit heel that thinks he's better than everybody and has a chance to be built into 
like you said, a future star, not Shane. And that's the thing is, like, I generally don't have a problem with Shane popping in from time to time. But the reason I have a problem with it now is he's gone from special attraction to basically regular performer. And the little things that made Shane kind of fun are just now being exposed. And I'm sorry, yeah, I mean, let's look at the show so far. Excuse me, Seth Rollins, top babyface in the company, has to basically win via referee help and fucking shitty schoolboy. Roman Reigns, allegedly a top guy, the big dog in this company, losing to Shane McMahon in 2019. I, yeah, those I, don't, are your I don't know. Two top baby faces, and we we always one, talk about how one can. We always talk about how the reason NXT works so well is because people are put into the right positions to succeed and given that chance. You know what? Here's the thing: it's like I, I've talked about Roman before. I like Roman well enough. I think they completely missed a chance when he came back from the leukemia battle. To freshen him up, new look, new music, new entrance, everything. But again, they just brought him back as the guy that they had been struggling for years to make into the guy. And now they're like, oh, we'll, we'll kind of make him human. You know, Drew can take him out a few times. We'll have Shane beat him. And that'll humanize him. No, it's just going to make people not care. You, you humanize this guy through actual character work and, and promos. Like, they brought this guy back, and the first thing they did was, let's do a big S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion tour. It's like, all right. In a way, I guess it makes sense, because it, there's a lot of factors going into it with, with Ambrose leaving, and I'm sure that changed things around because then roman comes back he's like all right well you're about to leave i just got back we want to do this shield reunion sure fine whatever but they're yeah they're trying to humanize him by having him lose to shane mcmahon i don't mind him getting taken out by drew remember when he was uh roman his first big match on raw uh his first match batch first match back was supposed to be against uh, i think baron corbin and then McIntyre laid him out. And McIntyre's like, you're not the same guy anymore. You're not the big dog. You know, you shouldn't have come back. You came back too early. And then they meet at WrestleMania, and it's kind of a dud, and Roman wins. And it's like, all right, kind of more of the same. But you, like, that could have humanized Roman Reigns. There's a story there of this guy isn't fully back. I'm not saying you play off of the leukemia angle, and but you're not turning it into a negative because once he fully does come back and you build him back up to, Hey, this is the Roman we all know and can be an ass kicker. It took him a while to get there, but he's finally there. And now look out instead. He just immediately beats drew. Like, I don't even feel like they're humanizing him with this loss. I just think they're stupid. No, I, I completely agree. It's yeah. There, <laughs> there is a story to be t- told there, like you said, and they're just, uh, they're not doing it. I mean, they've already screwed it up at, the, at this point. Like, there, there is no story. It's just Roman's back. It was fun for a couple of weeks, and you, you got your big money shield reunion, and now he's just almost literally the same guy he was 
for years that we've tried building up where he's fighting the authority he's overcoming the odds and he's gonna beat guys that all right sure he should beat if you're gonna make him the top guy but then he's also losing to shane mcmahon so it nothing nothing has changed he's, he's the same dude yeah, it's it's no good. And speaking of no good, the hits continue. <laughs> Lars Sullivan defeated the Lucha House Party five minutes and twenty seconds via disqualification when the Lucha House Party got disqualified for kicking the shit out of him too much. No, that is not a joke. <laughs> the Luchas put up more of a fight than you would have imagined. They made a big comeback and worked double and triple teams at the end. They all beat the shit out of Lars, and the referee rang the bell because they wouldn't stop. Lars was a big bully. He got his comeuppance. They beat the shit out of him, and then he won because that's the rule. The crowd was dead. This match helped absolutely fucking nobody. Because they're probably just going to do it on Raw again, where Lars wins. And then the worst of all was, like, not only do they beat the shit out of Lars and then, like, kind of stand tall for a minute, but then he just makes his own comeback and beats the shit out of them to stand tall anyway. Why doesn't he just kill them in, like, a minute, win the match, and look like a fucking monster like he was supposed to? Instead, you just do a fucking match, again, the opposite of what we were talking about with NXT... Nobody was put in a position to succeed here. Everybody was sent out to fail. And they did. This was so simple. This was the simplest thing on the show. And when we did our preview, we basically dismissed this match as, yeah, Lars is going to kill these guys because they're trying to get him over as this big monster. And there's the, the Lucha House Party... They have no use. They're they're a comedy sort of act on two oh five live and they're good. I like all of these guys, but they're they're nothing to the company. And what do they do? They do a fifty fifty match, the Lucha House Party gets DQ'd for kicking too much ass, and Lars still stands tall. I wouldn't even call Nobody... it fifty fifty. I think they took fucking like seventy percent of the damn match. That's the worst Nobody... part too. Yeah, nobody looked good in this match. Nobody. I can't care about the Luchas because I've been told for months and maybe even years that they're nothing. And now I can't even care about Lars because this guy can't beat them. Like, they could have saved this. They they truthfully, once again, I'll try to be positive. They truthfully could have saved part of this if you have the Luchas kick too much ass and they they beat down Lars and they close the segment with their they're standing over Lars and it's like oh man maybe Lars can beat him if they tag in and out but if they can just gang up on this guy three on one then you know the the luchas have a chance and then you set up the rematch of all right it's no DQ everybody can be in the ring at the same time and that's when Lars kills him it's like oh shit well maybe they just kind of you know, they overwhelmed Lars at Saudi, but, you know, once he was kind of prepared and ready for it and knew the rules and whatnot, then he still killed these guys. They could have done that, and it 
could have made something out of this. Instead, Lars laid them all out at the end anyway. And it's like, you've built to nothing. You've accomplished nothing by doing this. You just, oh my God, I don't know how they screwed this up. I really don't. This was the simplest thing I've ever seen, and they somehow screwed it up. It was. It was simple on paper. You keep it under three minutes. Lars fucking tosses them around. They pinball sell for him. Eventually, all three of them get in. They run wild for like 10 seconds, hitting a bunch of rapid fire shit off the ropes. Maybe hit it in like a triple drop kick, stagger Lars back, and then he just fucking murders them. That's it. In, out, simple. Lars looked like beast. Little Lucha men sell for him. That's it. But no. It sucked. So we move on. Randall K. Orton defeated Triple H. And you're going to be shocked to hear this. At 25 minutes and 40 seconds. (laughs) Via pin. Raise your hand, kids, if you're shocked that Uncle Paul, the lovely NXT dad, had to fucking get his masturbatory 25-minute match where he thinks he's Ric Flair in his fucking prime... Come on, dude. Paul. Paul, you're smarter than this. Come on, man. Somebody needs to sit him down. Be like, watch <laughs> this. You need to watch like all this bullshit you did with The Undertaker last year. Watch the, like, This wasn't as bad as that, but still, you need no. to watch this shit and be like, it's not good, Paul. Anyway, another Triple H match that went way too long due to his vanity. And he still thinks it's 2000 and he can work like Flair. He can't. It was aggressively below average. It was plodding. There was no fire, no sense of urgency. And the crowd largely didn't care. It was okay at the end because there was nothing bad. Triple H didn't rip a peck. You know, the work was okay. <laughs> but it just went way too long. You know, you trim 10 it minutes was... off this, you add a little intensity to it, and then that's the worst part, is like, they come out and lock up like it's a regular grappling contest, after selling their 10 years of history, and Triple H home invasions, and Randy Orton DDTing Steph, and they did all this stuff to try to make you remember this, like, heated rivalry, and they're like, alright, let's uh, lock up, full arm drag and a twist, and uh, we're going to go ahead and ground things on the mat a little bit. Randall, grab a chin lock, why don't you? We'll just hang out here for a little bit. Sounds good, Paul, thank you. I mean, come on, man, what the fuck was this? It it was everything we feared, and I mean, you knew if it was going over 15 minutes, it was probably going close to 25 and you knew if it was going close to 25 it was just gonna be slow and plotting and just every long triple h match for the past i don't know since basically the the hell in a cell match with undertaker i I, i'm sure there's been fine triple h matches since then but we named the the last time there was the ambrose match at roadblock and then the cena match at the first saudi show yeah and if if we go back to i I went way backdated myself but uh obviously the brian match at at wrestlemania 30 was fantastic as well um 
but yeah, like it's the same match every single time, and it's with the same. Like I like Randy Orton. I I think 2019 Randy Orton is is fine because he just kind of does his little RKO. The crowd likes him. He's kind of a a a dick who just doesn't care anymore, and that's perfect. And the problem is, once again, they're just presenting this guy as like a top star uh, a lot of the times, and it's like, okay, come on, like he's cool in his role instead of being like new Japan dad, Randy Orton. He's just, he's still legend killer, Randy Orton, except now he's kind of young gun killer. And it's like, all right, this is dumb. Uh, yeah, it, it sucked. The crowd came alive at the end, which was cool. The work was fine. The crowd, I will say like they were into the, the closing sequence because they, they want to see stars. They want to see stars hit their moves and stuff. They don't want to just see stars, you know, fucking resting in a chin lock and, and barely being able to walk and stuff is the the result doesn't matter triple h isn't going to wrestle again until the next saudi show maybe SummerSlam. um like he's not gonna wrestle again he's, he doesn't really have a role on television and, and randy orton is they're still just trying to make this guy even though he should be making other guys and it's just yeah is a Triple H Saudi special? Yeah, bless him for getting paid, I guess. So backstage, everything we love about everything we love about Papa Paul and NXT, and everything we hate about maybe it's just a main roster thing. This is Vince just he can't get out of his own way backstage on the main roster, and Triple H can't get out of his own way uh, in the ring on the main roster. But you put him in NXT, and he's great. Yeah, who knows, man. It's hard to tell. So we went backstage, and Baron Corbin was complaining about the referee costing him his match against Rollins and that he wanted a rematch. He said, I won't stand for this. Heads are going to roll, (laughs) which was probably not the best verbiage to use in Saudi Arabia. Who, Who scripts this stuff? You don't have an editor who can look at that and be like, yeah, I I don't know about that one. Relax, it's good shit, pal. Oh, they're my gonna God. love it. Just roll with it like the head. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, I I don't know. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty dreadful stuff. <laughs> but uh, we moved on. Braun Strowman defeated Bobby Lashley in just over eight minutes. Uh, it was. Okay, it started off kind of strong, and then I don't know if it was the heat and everything, but because it was really hot, it was like 90 some, and then especially over 100 in the ring. They got tired, and it uh, kind of faded really quick. It was okay. Uh, Bobby Lashley sweated off a Leo Rush worth of weight during this match, but uh, it was an okay kind of hossy battle. Probably could have been better, but uh, it wasn't bad, at least. It was just... It was like a lot of this show, which kind of makes it bad. It was just okay in there. I didn't care for this at all. Braun is ice cold. Lashley has barely been heated since he returned. Sure, I guess the work was fine. It was eight minutes, whatever. It felt much longer... 
these guys should be in a better position, but they're just out there having a match. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it would be nice. And Braun is. They've just... They have just destroyed him. And he just... He feels... You think about the last time... You think about the last time they were in Saudi Arabia. It was Braun against Brock for the Universal title. You could have made that guy on that night. You have him beat Brock. He looks like a... You know, he's the champion. He's, he's carrying your company while while roman is out every he's gotten over in such a big way over the years um with by destroying shit and just being presented as this uh badass monster and instead baron corbin bashed him from behind lesnar killed him with 20 f5s and he, he has not been the same since and he was you know, they cooled him off even before that with the first Brock match, and then they completely killed him with the second Brock match. And, like, look at him now. He's going nine minutes with Bobby Lashley. You know what the best part is? Is when he had that match with Brock and Saudi and lost, basically got squashed. Everybody gave me the old wait and see, Larry. This is just a way to build up Braun and get him over at the end. Where are we yeah, now? Well, we're waiting. <laughs> Still waiting. You got to keep waiting, Larry. You got to have a little bit of patience. Uh, seven months worth, eight months worth of patience. Not quite enough. I guess not. So we move on. <laughs> WWE champion Kofi Kingston defeated Dolph Ziggler at just over 10 minutes. Uh, the finish saw them go to the floor. Dolph took out Xavier Woods. They worked back into the ring, and Xavier Woods ended up hitting Dolph Ziggler to allow Kofi to hit Trouble in Paradise to retain. Allegedly, one of your top baby faces in the company needing help to win against the dreaded baby super baby face heel Dolph Ziggler. It was a solid match with again the crowd pretty much dead for this one too. It it was there. I would say that you could have, I mean, you could have shaved time off of Triple H, Randy Orton, no matter what you did with that time, um, and given it to, to this match, because I, I think they, they they can have a good match if you give them more time. Ten minutes for, for these two guys just isn't enough to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Dolph is going to be motivated. Kofi's very good. Um I forgive this match and basically everything that went into it because it was 10 minutes. The I don't put a whole lot of stock into the Saudi shows anyway. And they're, they're setting up the steel cage match where Kofi, uh, where Xavier can't interfere. So sure, doing this finish it makes sense if, that, if that's what you're building to. And Dolph, it gives him more feel of the it should have been me bullshit, but it just makes your top baby face like not look all that good. Like he's never he need he didn't need Kofi and, and Biggie at WrestleMania. He didn't need these guys against Kevin Owens or, or any of these other matches. Like why does he need him in ten minutes against Dolph Ziggler? It whatever. I feel like I've ended a lot of run-on sentences with whatever 
Well, it's kind of the theme of this show. It's like, what the fuck ever, man. But yeah, they set up a steel cage match out of this for stomping grounds. That's a cool logo for stomping grounds, by the way. I wonder if it's going to be sponsored by the Uggs Boot of the Week. (laughs) I hope hope so. so. Yes. Or maybe, uh, you know, have a page do like uh, stomping grounds uh, fucking presented by Doc Martin. You know, fucking Timberlands or whatever the fuck ever. We need a boot sponsorship, goddammit. If they don't get a boot to sponsor this, I mean, I guess it's only two weeks away. They should have the sponsor already. If it's not a boot, somebody fucked up. I mean, pretty much, man. I mean, how how do you fuck that up? I mean, the logo is a giant goddamn boot. And we're back. Sorry for the little audio glitch there. We got a uh, cut off, little internet issue with the storms in the area. Anyway, you're listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I am Larry Zonka. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com uh, website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. I'm being joined by Jeremy Lambert. We are talking WWE Super Showdown 2019. And next up was the. As I said, the big 50-man battle royal. Uh, A bunch of geeks made their way to the ring. And then, like, The Miz, Joe, Elias, Titus, and Cesaro actually got, like, their entrances. And this was pretty much what everybody imagined. It was just the bell rang. Elimination, elimination, elimination. Just guys randomly getting tossed. The Sings and EC3 were gone early. Just, you know, they... Just guys flying out everywhere. Titus hit under the ring. He fucking came in and eliminated the the Viking experience or whatever the fuck they are, Viking Raiders. He eliminated them, and I was just like, really? And then, like, to show you how much they care about Nakamura later on, like, Sin Cara eliminated him. Just a bunch of random shit going on until it came down to... Mansoor, Ali, Ricochet, Joe, Elias, and Cesaro, which led to Mansoor winning in Saudi Arabia for the quote-unquote feel-good moment of the evening. Jeremy, your thoughts? It was a 50-man battle royal. Then it's tough to do. I guess it was 51 then. Uh yeah, WCW was smart enough to do this over three rings, so it wasn't just a giant fucking cluster. Where was our truth? Like we know he was on the plane. Why? Why wasn't this guy part of this match in in some way? Even if he just comes out, he does a Lacey Evans. He comes out, he laughs at all these fools, and then they they run a he runs away from them. Do something with this guy. My God, he's the the best thing in the company right now. Um, Mansoor wins because WWE, as we've said for a long time, they're great at creating moments. They are spectacular at creating moments. And you give this guy a big win in front of front of his home country. Kids are crying. He inspires hope. It is this great babyface promo where he's like you can be like me and you know he's expiring the next generation of saudi wrestlers cool great what's gonna happen to this guy larry uh, he's probably gonna toil back in nxt and stuff as he uh 
just is a dude. I um I would have loved for him to be like and this shows that you can do anything. Like have women on the show next time. <laughs> you know something. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean it was it was a nice moment. The match sucked just because there was way too many people in there and they couldn't do anything for the longest time. It went 18 minutes. The little bit at the end was okay once it got down to the last six guys. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like you said, they, they're good at creating the moment. Good for them. Um, you know, Mansoor, I mean, I I guess he'll be back in November and maybe get a match on the Saudi show and we'll see what happens. But I, I, I mainly expect him to stay in NXT and not do much and not necessarily his fault. He's been on... I've seen he's had matches on uh, NXT UK and NXT, and he's he seems like he's he has good potential and stuff. He has a solid look and everything, and I, you know, I just I don't know what like his upper like his ceiling is because I haven't seen a ton of him. But I mean, there 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 are worse things they could have done with this. Like I said, I was afraid they were gonna bring back like fucking Kane, Big Show, or Mark Henry to win this thing. <laughs> There there were certainly worse things they could have done. And even if you give the win to a guy like Ricochet or literally anybody else who's on main roster television every week, you know they weren't going to do anything with that either. It was just been like, all right, he won this battle royal. How's that working out for, for Braun right now? Uh, winning the greatest Royal Rumble. Maybe, the oh, I got it in Royal. November. Mansoor can challenge Braun for his big green Saudi belt. <laughs> for the Mountain Dew belt. Yes. Uh, sure, why not? They're, again, they created a great moment. They're not going to do anything with this guy. He might be on NXT a handful of times. He, that That's about it. He's not going to be on the main roster. And if he is, they're not going to actually use him. Uh, maybe he wins a 24-7 title on... Uh, a YouTube special or something. It'd, it'd be fine. This guy, he's kind of an internet troll in the past, and he does a lot of game streaming and stuff. So he could probably have some fun with it if they let him and uh, make sure he doesn't offend any part of their audience. And speaking of our truth, you asked where he was. He was the smartest man on the whole goddamn planet staying away from this thing. I I don't know when they did it, but they showed the... Uh, the the title change where R Truth won on, on the plane where he pinned a sleeping Jinder Mahal. Cool video. You watch it on YouTube. I, I bet it has like five million views or some shit right now. R Truth is the only good thing about this twenty four seven title. Yes, yes, he's easily. amazing. Easily. Why, when you show this video, do I need Michael Cole narrating the whole fucking thing? Look at him, Corey. He's running up the stairs. Dude. I see He's that. in the airplane, Corey. Look, he's running to the shitter. <sighs> oh, yeah. and then everybody wakes up and starts chanting. Oh my god, just this is what I'm talking about. This isn't even like being subtle. Like just let us watch the video. Maybe make a comment or two. I don't need a full narration of everything. That's because they, is... they don't know when to let things rest. No. You know, there, there's there's a thing when you're making moments too and that like commentary either can trample all over it or it can be subdued to let the moment rest. 
And it goes that way even with like vignettes and backstage things and stuff. You don't always need people talking over shit. I mean, it it's pretty self-explanatory. All you I have to do is go, you know, R-Truth <laughs> lost, lost the title on the tarmac, but when they got in the air, and then you just run the video. And then all you have to do is have Corey Graves be like, R-Truth has found a referee and he's sneaking into the cabin. And that's it. And then you let R-Truth sneak up. He's looking at people and stuff. He pins gender. Then they chase him. The, the, the best part is after he pins him. And they do that close-up of Truth's eyes like, oh shit, I'm stuck on a plane with everybody else. Look, he found out, he just realized that now he's the 24-7 champion again. I know. Just let me watch the video. It's all, you know, it's got 5 million views on on YouTube. Michael Cole isn't narrating it. People have watched it. People thought it was funny. People probably rewatched it if it's got that many views. We see it. We we see what's going on. It's good. Knock it off. Yeah, I generally really don't like the twenty four seven title thing, but I will say our truth is just amazing, and he's just. We, we talked about that before with him. He says this is a dude who's still in good shape. He can still go, but he found that comedic timing, and it has led to great career longevity for him. And you know what, my man's getting paid. And, you know, good for him. He's entertaining as hell, and at least I can laugh at that part of it. The rest of the 24-7 shit, I can pretty much just... I can just, you know, let it go. But and I... There's, uh, yeah. There's not much to the... Like, there is no 24-7 division. Um, I think Drake Maverick has done a good job with his social media stuff and the the wanted posters and... All that fun stuff. Um, it's fine, and our truth has certainly made it better. But I, I don't know. Just don't beat me over the head with with this narration and this storytelling. Just let me watch what's playing out. That that's it. Real quickly before we bury this main event, since you mentioned uh, Mansoor should have said, "Hey, let women wrestle." So they brought Alexa and Natalia. Who, who's in the wrong here? Did I mean I know who's in the wrong, but did the Saudi government lie to WWE? Be like, yeah, we'll give you this match, and then they were like, eh, never mind. Like, what what do you think happened here, Larry? I don't know. It seems like, it seems like in the end, like, like I guess they originally told WWE it would be okay. Then they flew them over there, and then they were like, nope, and changed their mind. That's what it sounds like happened. But fuck if I know. I mean, God, knowing Vince and the way he does shit, maybe he was just like, fuck it, we're going to bring some women and we're going to get a match on this show. And then they were like, uh, no, fuck you, we're paying you $50 million for this show, no women allowed. Put Renee in a turtleneck, she can sit out there. <laughs> and those, that whole thing was a weird situation. And, I mean, they never advertised it. I saw people be like... <clears throat> Uh, oh, they look bad because everyone knows they're over there and they're not doing a match. And it's like, well, they weren't advertised to do a match. So there was no bait and switch or anything there. They inspired change because they visited uh, people in the community and whatnot. And 
yeah, that that was kind <laughs> of that. Yeah, I I don't know. I you know everybody's like, oh, don't worry, it's going to happen soon. And I don't know, man. I, I'll believe it when it actually does happen. But um, yeah, it's just more of the problematic issue with the whole deal. No women's, and you know, God forbid, there might be a gay person over there. You know, so bad things. You know, like Sami Zayn can't even go. Not that he would want to. And yeah, but whatever, man. It's a uh, everybody's sleeping well with their sweet Saudi blood money, man. So I'm not I'm I'm not supposed <laughs> to bring that up because that that ma- makes me biased. And before we get, we're going to talk about this main event here. But here's the thing. Yeah. I didn't like this show. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was in Saudi Arabia. There are lots of shows that I don't like going in, but then sometimes I watch a show and it ends up being a great show. I didn't like this show because because it was five hours fucking long and the crowd was dead for 90% of it. And the show pretty much peaked at okay wrestling from the biggest fucking company in the world getting paid $50 million to put on this show that I was told was going to be equal to or greater than <laughs> WrestleMania, and it fucking wasn't. It that, sucked. Like, that's where... That's where this company is just so dumb. It's You can't portray this as greater than or equal to WrestleMania and then give me this. Like, truthfully, if they say... Hey, we're going to Jeddah. Can't say Saudi Arabia. We're going to Jeddah. It's one of our special, I don't know, call it a legends event or something. Because you every time you go to these uh, European stadium shows, I guess Saudi's not in Europe, these overseas stadium shows, you that's what you do. You bring out these legends and nothing else really matters. We're going to do one of our special legends show. These fucking events don't matter can't say that but that's the impression you can give people it's like you know it's a it's a it's a just a special attraction event a lot of the stuff you're gonna see just they're not good at uh, being subtle so they would never be able to pull this off but a lot of the stuff you're gonna see doesn't actually matter It, it really is just a glorified live event and and that's it uh so Go in with those expectations and you'll be good. You'll it'll everything will be fine. Don't sell me that it's bigger than WrestleMania and give me this. Yeah, and that's the thing. Again, don't sit there and tell me that this is the the biggest and best company in the fucking world. Yes, they're the biggest company in the world in wrestling, okay? But don't fucking sit there and oh, they're the biggest and best company in the world because they make all this money. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, too. You you can't use that argument because all I hear is, well, Avatar was a shitty movie. I don't care how much money it made. But wait a minute. You're just telling me if it makes a lot of money, it's automatically good. And, you know, I, I don't know about Avatar. I've honestly never watched it. I got fucking burnt out on that son of a bitch because when I was reporting news every day, it seemed like we were reporting like five Avatar stories every fucking day. And I saw 8 million clips. I probably saw the whole movie, actually, and all the clips I posted. But it's just... <laughs> Never you, seen it. Never seen it. Yeah, movie. but you can't tell me that WWE is the best because it makes all the money. 
but then like bring an argument like, well, Avatar sucks. I don't care that it made money. It's like stuff like that. It's like, here's the thing. There is no arguing that WWE is the biggest, most profitable wrestling company in the world. And that it's only going to get bigger due to these fucking TV deals. And that is a credit to their business. Okay, that is great. But the fact is, if you sit there and you don't think that this company is fucking creatively bankrupt, and the fact that the shows are really bad, like, all the time lately, and, like, the only thing good about the damn company is, you know, NXT and occasionally, like, some of the, uh, like, 205 Live and that... And stories they luck into. Yeah, like Kofi, there you go. So it's like, yeah, don't don't give me this shit about it, you know, being the best. Just, you know, I mean, how many shows, like, have high ratings, but then people think suck? Just because a lot of people watch something doesn't mean it's great. Just because WWE makes a ton of money doesn't mean it's great. It means they're profitable and that they have branded themselves extremely well throughout years and years and years of success and initial fan loyalty. Now you're losing 25% of your TV audience. And here's the best part I love about that. Whenever you bring up the fact that they've lost 25% of their viewership from year to year, oh, ratings are an antiquated uh, measurement of success then why does everything else use it? Why do sports talk about ratings all the time still? Why is why are ratings even still a thing if they're completely antiquated? Just because they lucked into these TV deals before the big drops hit, doesn't it doesn't mean they're in good shape because of it. They're in good fiscal shape and financial shape, but they're in shitty creative shape. So anyway, let's go to the fucking main event. Goldberg and The Speaking Undertaker. Speaking of great creative ideas. That's right. Undertaker defeated Goldberg 8 minutes and 44 seconds. Here's the story with this. <laughs> this started off fucking great. It was exactly what it should have been. They went face-to-face. The crowd was into it. Goldberg gave him the old cutthroat. I'm going to take you out, motherfucker. Hits a spear. Hits another spear. Taker sits up. Crowd's like, oh, the dead man. Yay. And then Goldberg follows with strikes. Fights off a choke slam. Rolls into a knee bar. That's fine. Taker likes submission shit. They're going back and forth, and then Goldberg misses a corner spear and posts himself like he did in WCW. Busts his fucking cranium open, gives himself a concussion. And then it falls apart. (laughs) The match becomes a shoot, brother. (laughs) That's right. It becomes a shoot because, (laughs) first of all, Taker drops Goldberg on his fucking head with a tombstone. Goldberg kicks out. And then Goldberg goes for a fucking uh, jackhammer and ends up hitting a shoot brain buster that the guys in the all all Japan were going, fuck! (laughs) And then they tried to do a tombstone or a tombstone reversal spot. They fucked that up and Taker just said to hell with it, chokeslammed them and they went home. Again, it started off really strong and with the right idea. Bill knocked himself out. And it fucking fell apart. It ended up (laughs) being bad. And I'm not joking. They're lucky somebody didn't fucking die here. Because if you you see the tombstone, Goldberg's neck compresses. 
And then when you see that blown jackhammer, Jesus Christ right on top of Taker's head. Taker's reaction after this whole thing pretty much summed it up. The This guy was just... He's like, yep, that happened. He looked like he was just happy to be alive. Um, uh, Goldberg. Goldberg. First off, this dude has to not fucking bash his head into a door before leaving to do his entrance. You could already see the mark on his forehead because for some reason he thinks this is a good idea and it gets himself psyched up. Do it to a pillow or something. Just senseless. Completely senseless to do that. And then you wonder why he goes out there and he just does dumb shit when he's in the ring. Posts himself. Gets knocked out. You could tell right after that that it was just rough. It was going to be rough because he wasn't moving the same. He looked completely out of it. And then the the tombstone didn't do things any better. Goldberg was dead weight at that point. He probably just couldn't even like hold himself up. Uh, like that, I don't put that fully on the Undertaker. Like I think people are doing. It does take two people to do a tomb that to do a tombstone spot. Believe it or not, couldn't lift them for the jackhammer. Nearly killed them there. The the reversals. You could audibly hear Undertaker just tell him stay down after the choke slam. Just that's it. Stay down. Where this this shit is over because neither of us are looking too good right now. I said it before going into the mass this match. I didn't have any expectations i didn't have any interest in it because i lost interest in the undertaker pretty much when when the streak ended and goldberg he was cool in 1998 and since then he's been nothing to me and this is this is bad larry it might be my favorite match of all time it's a match i could probably just rewatch a lot because it's only nine minutes and there's just so much unintentional bad now that you know both men are healthy and alive which is good and hopefully they they never wrestle again yeah i oh man like i said it's just like you know like you said trying to find the positive it started off well they had the right idea hit big moves go fast pace get in get out pop the crowd it'll be fine and then, yeah, old Whisker Biscuit there busted itself open. And, yeah, we're just, we're lucky that nobody was seriously hurt in this whole thing. That we know of, anyway. Well, Goldberg definitely got a concussion, but he's not going to wrestle. Who knows when. I feel like Goldberg might actually come back. And, like, I need to do one more match to as the final reminder. And that's fine, because I would think if he does one more match, they would be smart enough to be like, Spear, Jackhammer... There's your uh, final sequence of Goldberg, your lasting memory of Goldberg, not this fucking Undertaker match. They'll bring him back on the next Saudi show. Let him wrestle Randy Orton or some shit. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I did feel bad for him at the end. I mean, because obviously I don't want to see anybody hurt. And I was, I was seriously afraid when that was over that both guys suffered like a bad neck injury. Because that just, that shit looked ugly. So I hopefully there are no bad lasting effects other than like whatever shit they had dealt with from their careers. But yeah, it's just uh it wasn't good, man. 
It was, it was bad. Possibly, yeah. Potentially disastrous. We're seriously lucky nobody got seriously hurt or died. Because that was just not good. At least it was short. <laughs> yeah. That's a positive, Larry. Come on. This show was great. The the great Saudi money four or three, whatever fucking yeah, it was, title. It was a horrible <laughs> show. I'm sorry. I, I, I absolutely <laughs> hated this thing. It was just fucking five hours of largely dead crowd. Just nothing barely, making sense. No nothing good wrestling. Good in the ring. Bad booking. Uh, baby faces being made to look like idiots. And just basically a setup for stomping grounds. You know, without the women around. So, what are you going to do? Let's get to something Let's talk about a good fucking show. Let's talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion 2019. This was a rather great show. Uh, We started off. U.S. Champion John Moxley defeated Shota Umino. Four minutes and nine seconds. Shota Umino... um, Went shock and awe before the bell with a tope con helo and then hit a missile drop kick. He was all fired up and Moxley said, not today, motherfucker. Cut him off, grounded him, started beating the shit out of him, broke out a regal stretch, laid in a bunch of strikes. He dared Umino to hit him at one point. Uh, Umino fired up, uh, hit a drop kick in a German, but Moxley cut him off, hit the release dump suplex, Death Rider for the win. And afterward, he said, John Moxley once in the G1. Do you think this match would have been better if Umino run wild on Moxley to start? Moxley makes a comeback, and Umino low blows him or behind the rest back and kicks his ass. But at the end, Moxley stands tall and says, I won in the G1. You think that would have been a better match? Uh, I mean, it could have been, but I think this perfectly served its purpose. <laughs> that's what WWE would have done. Yeah. that That's the joke here. It's just, this was great. Uh, Umino fired up the start. Mox was like, okay, you caught me off guard. Fair, fair play to you. Tip of the cap. Now I'm just going to beat the shit out of you. That's what he did. And it was great. Exactly what it needed to be. And then Moxley says he's in the G1. And awesome. We we talked about him potentially entering the G1 on the last show. He's in it. I look forward to the matches he's going to have. And the, the fucking G1 looks loaded, as we're going to get to later on. That's right. So next up, Shingo Takagi defeated Satoshi Kojima, 11-15 via pin. The pumping bomber versus the strongest arm here. Very good hard-hitting match. Kojima giving Shingo a good fight. Uh, maybe a little more than some would expect, but the thing is, is he was he basically gave Shingo a great first test at heavyweight. Uh, Shingo rebounded from his best Super Junior loss to Osprey. Picked up the big win. He had to dig dig a little deep. Had to break out Made in Japan. And ended up with the Pumping Bomber and Last of the Dragon to put Kojima away. Uh, yeah, all in on Shingo. Uh, he said after the match that he still is going to compete as a junior at times. But uh, he said he wants more heavyweights and that he wants in the G1 as well. And all I can think of when he said that was, Fuck yes, son. This was another match where... When, when we talked about the preview, the, the winner was never in doubt. 
But New Japan tells these longer term stories where accumulative damage matters. And Shingo just went through the best of Super Juniors. He just wrestled Will Ospreay in a hell of a match a few nights ago. Kojima was fresh. He's a veteran. He knows the tricks of the trade. And that, like, that's the story they told. Shingo was, yeah, if this guy was 100% and he hadn't wrestled in a month and he's facing Kojima, who also hasn't wrestled in, if they got full training camps, basically, Shingo would probably run through this man. But given the circumstances, Shingo's a little beat up and Kojima took more than maybe most were expecting. The, the pumping bomber where Kojima just stood there and was like, come on, motherfucker. Like, that was fantastic. Um, Shingo wins. He should have won. So he's in the G1. It's awesome. More, like, just another quality guy in the G1 who's just going to have banger matches with everyone. Exactly. And that's what I'm looking forward to. That excites me. And I, right now, the first thing I can think of is I need Shingo versus Big Tom. Shingo and Big Tom Ishii larrying the fuck out of each other. Bring it to me. Put it in my veins. Big Tom against anybody. Put a Moxley as well. Shingo against anybody. Fuck, yeah. Yeah. like God, there's so much good. This G1 is going to be awesome. I know. So next up, Jushin Liger and Yoshihashi defeated Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, This was uh, Yoshihashi, as we speculated, picking up the win on Zack Sabre Jr., to set up the Rev Pro British Championship uh, match we had talked about, and also continuing the build to Liger versus Suzuki. It was fine and accomplished its goals. Um, I don't have any interest in in Yoshihashi and and Zack Sabre, and I love Zack Sabre. Suzuki and Liger pairing off and just slapping each other is, is always fun. Suzuki looks like he's having a fucking ball in there working with Liger, and I can't say I blame the man. So... It, it it did what it needed to do. Yeah, and that, again, that's the most important part is is it doesn't have to be a great undercard match as long as we're accomplishing goals along the way, too. I'll take solid to good as long as we're continuing booking and everything, and that's what that did here. Uh, next up, Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, Taguchi, and Juice Robinson defeated Jay White, Chase Owens, and uh, Taiji Ishimori. Uh, again, like we talked about in the preview, this was a rebound win for the baby faces who had all recently failed. Uh, pretty good match. Some rough spots, including Tanahashi doing a kind of wacky final cut variation on Owens for the win that looked really rough. Ishimori, again, didn't do a lot here. He's obviously still banged up, but it was pretty good. It was far from bad, but, uh, Again, got a rebound for the baby faces after a rough time of uh, big losses. Yeah, Tanahashi looked rough, and and that was kind of my biggest takeaway from this match. Like, not only the ending sequence of whatever it was, but he messed up, or at least like he looked like he messed up a, a couple of sling blade attempts with Jay White. Like as as good as he looked in in the. Um, return match against Jay White like he was the exact opposite in this one to where there was just no flow to, to Tanahashi and that's usually the the last thing you would say about Tanahashi but there there was no flow to this match and Chase Owens was there to take the pinfall he took the pinfall it, it was I, I don't know Tanahashi looking that bad I'm, I'm not doubting this man he's probably going to be in the G1 he's going to have a banger every single night but I, I didn't 
wasn't wasn't a fan of of this match overall. Excuse me, I think it's perfectly fair. But uh, yeah, accomplish the goal. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Tanahashi never does that wacky finish again because it looked like shit. So that's all I know. Next up, never open weight title match. Big Tom Ishii defeated Tai Chi. Sixteen minutes, fifteen seconds. Uh, this was thankfully Ishii being Ishii and Tai Chi actually being more dangerous tea than just wacky heel douchebag. Uh, the best part of the match was just the early portion when uh, Ishii grabbed all of Tai Chi's, uh, like his mic stand and the bag with the iron uh, fingers and shit and was like, you don't need this bullshit. Be a fucking man and fight me. And Tai Chi did and he brought the fight to him and I thought they had a great match and Big Tom wins the never open weight title again and all is right with the world. Much better than I had anticipated because I'm not a fan of Tai Chi, but when he brings this version of Tai Chi, he's good. There's there's an actual fire there, there's actual like quality there where he's not just stalling and doing nothing and just dragging everything down. And Ishii seems to bring this out of him, which fantastic i i wish we'd just see it a little bit more in these big matches um glad ishii got the win i i hope that he gets a sustained reign with this title it the kevin kelly said it on commentary this, this is the ninth title change since a year ago since dominion a year ago so you're switching the title like every 1.2 months or something that like that's a lot of title switches. This belt is the twenty four seven title of, of New Japan. Let Ishii run with it. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. They need a little stability with it, and this is the kind of title that he's he is perfect for. He because the thing is is like not only is this is it just kind of like an ass kicking championship. But, like, you can work with a bunch of different guys. You can bring in, like, your Ospreys and your Shingos and stuff like that and mix things up. You can do all kind of stuff with this. And Ishii is a guy that, unfortunately, is never going to get a run with the big title. So fucking let him anchor this division and just put on fucking bangers with all kind of great people. You can you can not only bring in, like, Osprey and Shingo. You can bring in just dudes from other companies. Like, you've got good relationships with CMLL, ROH and now AEW, I guess. Bring in a Jay Lethal or a Jeff Cobb, or I'm not big on, I, I'm not up on my CML, Teton, because he was awesome in, in Best of Super Juniors. Yeah, fuck yeah. Just, just bring in these guys because it's open weight. So they don't have to be heavyweight or anything. They can be whatever. And like that's the kind of title that it, it should be. And you know, you can't bring in a, a Jay Lethal or a Jeff Cobb and be like, the Brody King, that's another guy. Fuck, yes, oh, Brody that's King. a good one. I like that yeah. one. Um, you can you can bring in these guys and you, you can't give them heavyweight title shots because, you know, why are these guys challenging for the heavyweight title? Intercontinental title shot is even a little bit of a stretch, but the never open weight title, like, that's what it should be for. Use your relationships and, and build this title. I'm not saying it has to be like an open challenge type thing because New Japan doesn't do that. But they do just announce matches without too much build and stuff. And you're like, oh, fuck, that's a good match. Like, just just do that with this title. 
By the way, I'm all in on Ishii versus Brody King now. I need to see that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great fucking idea. I like that idea a lot, dude. Good job. So they announced after this match that next year, Dominion, much like Wrestle Kingdom, will be a two-day event. And if you are wondering why they've worked so hard to elevate Ibushi, Osprey, Shingo, it's not just because of the guys leaving. They're trying to bulk up and have more top-name guys ready to go. And it's because they're expanding Wrestle Kingdom to two days and now Dominion to two days. And if you're wondering why they're working with AEW. Yeah. So we will, uh, again, more to come on that as the weeks go on, I'd imagine. But we'll see what happens. And uh, But yeah, this is uh, definitely a big move for them. And uh, we'll see how that shakes out next year. Hopefully it's not... Because, you know, they've they've obviously expanded other tours, and hopefully it's not one of those things where, like... And I, I don't think it will be. I think they'll they'll take care to make sure it isn't. But hopefully it's not one of those things where we only get, like, two top matches and then, like, you know, seven fucking big-ass multi-tag matches, you know? Hopefully it's, you know, four, four or five matches on top that are worth it. And you can easily do that. And again, as long you can, you know, fucking use your relationships, like Jeremy just said. Bring in, you know, bring in an ROH World Championship match for the undercard of one of those, you know, because like on day two, obviously you'd have like the IWGP title headlining. So then, like you do, like the IWGP title, the junior and the junior tag titles on day two. Maybe like the Neverweight Six Man's on day two. Day one, you could do the IC title, the US title, the ROH title, the tag title, stuff like that. You could easily, you could easily do two shows, and that's not even bringing in CMLL stuff or anything else. So yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens. But uh, speaking of the tag team titles, the Gorillas of Destiny defeated Evil and Sonata, sixteen minutes forty five seconds. It was fine. It lacked intensity. It was overbooked at the end. And for fuck's sake, we need some new teams and actual booking in this division's like fucking stat. It was everything we've seen from this tag division for at least a year now. It's the same two teams. The Gorillas of Destiny won because it doesn't matter. And I'm sure they will rematch at some point down the line um because there's no other teams in this division and that's and that's what it is and so fine like i like all four of these guys um i just i don't need to see them don't need to see the match again yeah yeah i hear you dude i agree it's just you know what saddens me is like i think new japan does so much right and then you look at the tag divisions and it's like it's so bad. And then it's even worse when you consider you have J- J- Jado and Gato fucking tag team booking the goddamn company. And not only that, they're a tag team that, that fucking love Southern and Memphis wrestling. Where tag teams thrived. Yet they can't book tag teams to save their fucking ass in their company. It's just yeah. annoying it's it's really it is annoying like not even just taking a side that these guys should be better at 
doing this because they are tag team wrestlers and they, they grew up on that stuff. It's just, it's the same two guys, same two teams. Just give me something new. Like, all right, you don't have to build up this incredible division, but at least build up more than two teams. Yeah. So next, uh, we had a bit of a magical moment. The lovely tones hit, and Katsuyora Shibata arrived. Everybody lost their shit. He was hot in a suit, and I was typing about... I typed that he's coming out, and then I started typing about how Dragon Lee's been paying tribute to him with the Shibata dropkick and wearing his wrestler shirt, and I'm just assuming that Shibata's here to second Dragon Lee against Will Ospreay. But no, sir. Shibata comes out, he gets a big pop, he points to the back... And the artist formerly known as Hideo Otami, Kenta fucking arrives, introduces himself, thanks Shibata for the opportunity, and this motherfucker wants in the G1. Uh, first off, Shibata, his arm has got to be tired. I think he's still pointing to the fucking <laughs> entranceway. <laughs> that went on forever, and I'm like, can... can can someone save this man? Like, what happened there? Kenta coming out, coming back to, or coming to New Japan, fucking great. Everyone assumed when he was released from WWE, it was obviously a mutual de- decision type of thing. Uh, they figured, well, he's just going to go back to Noah, and that'll be that. Like, I, people, I even saw people say, like, well, they have to have an agreement that says, he's not going to new Japan because he would help their business. He would help them. Uh, so they, they just figure he's going to, to Noah. Like that's part of the agreement. That's why they let him go. Otherwise they'd never let him go. If they thought he was going to new Japan and he shows up in new Japan, this the same people need to stop theorizing on these releases and stuff. Cause Moxley, Oh, he's just going to the Indies and then he'll be back in WWE by the end of the year. Like, Nope, this dude is going to AEW and new Japan. Just these guys went out and they're going wherever the fuck they want because they're not under the, the WWE thumb anymore. Great to see Kenta in new Japan. I look forward to his, his G one run for a number of reasons. First off, he's typically awesome. I want to see how much of a step he may or may not have lost. This dude's had a lot of injuries throughout his career, and they got worse in WWE. Uh, He didn't look like he had that same kind of fire, and I don't know if that was injuries. I don't know if that was creative booking. I don't know if that was just him losing anything off of his fastball. Either way, you know, WWE thought they were getting Kenta when they signed him, they like they got Hideo Itami. He was nothing like what we remembered um, from his days in Japan and working ROH and stuff. Now he's he's in New Japan. He's gonna do the G1. He's gonna be working with great fucking wrestlers the majority of the night. We'll we will see if he was just unmotivated, beat up, whatever in WWE, or if he's just kind of an old, almost broken down guy at this point. Yeah, um, the the G1 inclusion is exciting because of the fresh matches, and we will find out, like you said, really quick if he's Kenta still. The only concern I have is the G1 is a fucking grind, and 
Yeah, I, don't I, know if he's I, I, I question. Yeah, I question if he can make it through well enough, and we're gonna find out. It seems, but obviously, very exciting, and uh, you know, it's uh, it came off as a huge surprise. Crowd loved it, and uh, yeah, just like the live coverage, and between that and Twitter, everybody was pretty much losing their shit about it, and yeah, definitely a cool moment. It's a you know, it's a lot of movement to help start setting up the G1 on this show, which was really cool, I thought. Yeah. So we uh, moved on. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Dragon Lee versus Will Ospreay. The Dragon Slayer Will Ospreay wins again. 20 minutes, 5 seconds via pin. Uh, and this was a great. Ospreay is a... Uh, the fucking home stretch was great. Just tons of counters by both guys. Both countering finishers. Osprey again goes to the hook kick, the hidden blade, the super os cutter, and the stormbreaker, taking out Dragon Lee. And I did like that he went like Buck Wild, like he did with Shingo, because I thought that was a really protective way to have Dragon Lee lose. You know, because it wasn't like he had a super long run or anything, but you don't want to just bury him because you want to keep Dragon Lee strong because you're still hoping to eventually do that Hiromu match when when and if he comes back obviously so but uh I love this Jeremy let me get your thoughts hey you want to keep Dragon Lee strong because the dude's only 24 years old yeah. and he could be around for a, a long time and I know he's mainly a CMLL guy but yeah, he he's been used well in, in New Japan and they did push comes a shove he, he might end up there full time uh so that's another reason why you want to keep this guy strong dude is fucking 24 years old the match was great it's it's will osprey so probably going to be great not quite on the level of the shingo match for me and that's not to say it was like you know way way below if i, I think you gave this like four and a half four and three quarters so and, and you gave Osprey and, and Shingo five, so there you go. It's when we argue about these things, it's a quarter star difference. And when you're talking about four and three or a full five, you're still talking about the very best matches. Um, so yeah, I fucking love. Uh, first off, that dive to the outside where he was set up on the guardrail. Oh my god, I thought. Both men died on that. That was just, God bless Will Ospreay. And Dragon Lee was going 100 miles an hour to, to hit that dive, too, because he had to get build up the speed for the for the jump because the guardrail isn't, like, right there. There's some distance there, and you can't splat your face into the guardrail or into Ospreay's knees. That's going to hurt. Ooh, that looked rough. The double stomp to the outside looked rough. Um, I love the the Will Osprey flips out of shit spot, and they did this with the with the Hurricane Rana um, to the outside, and Osprey's done this with the um, the bridging the German the 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 uh, deadlift German on the ropes that Kota Ibushi does. I think it's the the Golden Star Suplex, uh, where he pulls him in and does the German Suplex though, and Osprey flips and lands on his feet. Like, those are such cool counters that not many people can do, but it's like you, you try to hit them with your best shit. That's going to destroy anybody else. And this guy just does another half rotation and lands on his feet. And it's like, Holy fuck. 
uh, love Will Ospreay. Uh, just another great match. And Ospreay winning was obviously the right call after all they've put into him. Yeah, um, this was an amazing, insane match. As we talked about, Osprey is coming off a match of the year contender against Shingo, which a large majority of people gave five stars or more to. Uh, I don't go more, but I gave five. It's a five-star scale, you fools. That's right. Otherwise, up it to ten. That's right. And then, of course, it makes the most of his best of Super Junior win by having him win the title. Both guys absolutely great here. Lee looked great even though he lost, put in a top-notch effort. Just really, really great stuff. The pacing and ambitious athleticism were off the charts. They worked so well together. Everything was just clicking. And not only does Osprey win, but they set up his first title defense, which will be against Robbie Eagles in Melbourne. And that's because Eagles beat Osprey during the uh, Best of Super Juniors. And we talked about this, is that Eagles and Phantasma are likely his early challengers because... You have that Australia show coming up, and then you have the UK shows coming up. So that should be Phantasmo in the UK. So uh, excellent, excellent match. Uh, top-tier stuff. Sets up his next match. And uh, again, Osprey's case for most outstanding performer 2019 continues to grow with that resume, man. It's uh, kind of hard this, to argue at this point. This dude's going to be in the G1. I'm fairly confident in that. And well, I believe he announced after the show backstage that he was going to be. So, well, there, there you go. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of great performances in the G1. At the end of it, I I think you do like average star ratings for for each performer or whatever. I would not be shocked if if Osprey has the highest total. My man, for me, averaged over four stars in the best of Super Junior putting in a historic run. Can you imagine if he can do that in the G1 as well in the yeah. same fucking year? <laughs> I mean, Did that I, would just... It, he's got to be over four. Like, I, I just... I guess some of it will depend on the block and everything and the, the rest of the, the guys, but we know, like, you're going to get Okada, Naito, Abushi, Moxley, Shingo, Ishii, Kenta... Uh, did I miss any kind of like top and guy? Jeremy, all you need to know is my man drug a very good match out of fucking Dookie. <laughs> uh, he he's real. He's special. He's really fucking good. Um, and yeah, I the G one is gonna be nuts. He's he's gonna tear it up. And speaking of insane, that's our next match. Tetsuya Naito defeated champion Kota Ibushi 22 minutes and 10 seconds to win back the Intercontinental title. To the surprise of no one, uh, these guys killed it again and unfortunately almost killed themselves. Uh, There was some head dropping going on here. Naito hit a German on the apron to where Ibushi's head hit the edge of the fucking apron in an absolutely terrifying spot. Um, just, it was pretty much everything you expect from them. It, um, started a little differently, a little bit slower, but then everything escalated from the pacing, the action, the intensity, the danger level, uh, high stakes stuff, maximum effort here. And, uh, Naito gets the big win and Naito picks up the win and wins the title back. But, um, 
I I think with this though, it's like I was pretty much dead set on him probably winning the G one. And I think now I I might it might be a Bushi now. I think they might go with a Bushi doing the redemption story because he lost in the finals last year to Tanahashi. And it just it feels like it might be his time right now. I mean, you can obviously argue Naito, and I don't think they're wrong for doing it, but I think, um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I think it'll. They, uh, I think you can't they, go wrong with either one, but I think Abushi might be my new, uh, my new front runner. They've definitely created like more avenues with just just how well they built guys. Honestly, like it's it's almost that simple. Is after Wrestle Kingdom, you would look at it and be like, okay, Naito, Okada, this is the match we're doing next year. Naito wins the G1. It's all laid out. It's great. And then in the span, and this all started before Wrestle Kingdom, mind you, um, but in the span since then, it's you've you've now built up Jay White, who is a, a former champion. Tanahashi is always still around. You You've built up Will Ospreay. You've built up Kota Ibushi. Like, all of these guys could theoretically win this G1 and, and headline the, the Tokyo Dome show next year against, against whoever the champion might be. And it wouldn't be a stretch to do it with any of these guys. I mean, if if somehow they get, like, Kenny Omega in there for a G1 run, like, he could be a feasible winner, even though it's it's not happening. But you you've built up guys to where it's it might not be naito and if it's not not much is gonna suffer because the crowds love osprey and abushi so you can and they they love to hate jay white you can headline with these guys um just a very simple very good booking um yeah naito winning was I, I didn't think it was gonna happen because of the whole the whole g1 stuff and i just didn't think he needed the title i did like kevin kelly explaining that you know naito now might look at the intercontinental title more serious he wants to be the champ champ and that's obviously a big thing in in wrestling and mma where everybody wants two titles and so naito looked at it as all right i want the intercontinental title and the heavyweight title i hope that they kind of build on that a little bit more and he doesn't just toss the title around like it's trash. I did like the spot after the match where Naito just stood on this man's head and held up the title. It was like, I've conquered you. You were beneath me. And Naito was a great dick in this match. Coda. Coda. This man's got to protect himself from himself. That German suplex spot on the apron... Oh my god. Uh, I thought he was dead. And then immediately after, they do the poison rana. And I'm just like, what in the fuck is wrong with you? Not only was it a poison <laughs> rana, fucking like super poison rana, he landed on his fucking dome again. Yeah. Like, dude. I I understand it's his body. He can do what he wants. I, I care because I want to see this man wrestle for longer than until this time next year i would like to enjoy this man for the next seven to ten years uh he's not long if this is the way he's gonna keep wrestling and oh 
the, their matches have a sense of danger that adds to the intensity and the heat. It's almost like uh, Charlotte and, and Sasha. Remember when they were like sort of botching stuff, but that danger kind of gave you, but like they were safe, they were still protected, and but it was just a little rough around the edges. Not like Undertaker, Goldberg was rough around the edges because they're just old and fucking concussed each other, and they they nearly killed each other. Like it's rough around the edges, but in the best possible way, and that's kind of how these matches feel. Is it, the, like the G1 match, they they screwed up on um, sort of the the ending where they nearly dropped each other, and th- this match was the same thing where they had a couple of rough moments of oh he he might drop them right there, uh, they didn't because they're good, but the the next stuff it adds to the intensity and the the heat of the match. I I hope no one gets seriously injured by doing all this stuff, but it makes them feel <laughs> different than just we're going to go out here and have a super great wrestling match, which they do anyway. Yep. And then we moved on to the main event. IWGP champion Kazuchika Okada defeated Chris Jericho 2350 via pin. Uh, overall, very good, but obviously not up to the ridiculously high standard that Okada has set. The good news is that, like I speculated, it did break from the usual Okada formula. Uh, it gave us a non-Rainmaker finish, kind of out of nowhere, similar to the same finish that Okada pinned Omega with last year at Dominion. And it was refreshing, and it also ended up setting up uh, Jericho versus Tanahashi after the match because Jericho was beating the shit out of Okada post-match, hit him with the Judas effect and a chair shot, took him to the floor, wrapped his chair around his head, posted him, was going to powerbomb him through a table, but Tanahashi was on commentary and made the save. And, uh, you know, this led to uh, Jericho throwing a fit, calling, uh, saying that he was the greatest of all time, even in this bullshit country of Japan. I'll see you soon, Okada. Happy championship, bitch. So your thoughts on the Jericho versus Okada match? It was... Jericho has lost that step that we kind of saw that he lost in the Omega match. And now his matches, like they made this match an ODQ match uh, 24 hours before they got into the ring. And it was obviously done to protect Jericho and let him kind of do his his more brawling style. And he did kind of the same spots he's been doing with the whole DDT on the... The table, the ringing, the the bell, the brawling outside, the um, the the grabbing the camera and all this stuff, and it's like okay, it's fine. It, a lot of talking, a lot of just talking, and it's like all right, fine. Like it, it wears old when when you this has kind of been his matches for however long now. It's kind of been the the same thing for uh, a year and a half now. Um. I, I did like the finish because it did break from the norm. I, I do think it one issue uh, of just kind of New Japan booking and, and this this match in general is we've come to just expect such a level out of New Japan main events and, and Okada matches to where because Jericho can't perform to that level, it, it makes it feel underwhelming. If this match is the co-main event or or third from the top then 
it probably feels better. But it's following Shingo or uh, Shingo, uh, Dragon Lee and Osprey and Ibushi and Naito. It's like, all right, now like it's an Okada match in the main event. It's got to raise above that, and it it just didn't. And we kind of know who who the culprit of that is because of that that style. And I think that's why the Jericho Omega match worked is because it wasn't put in that main event spot. There was still something to follow it. It was it was placed better. And I know you can't place Okada in the co-main event as the champion, but hey, Ibushi wants to headline with the Intercontinental title. It, it would have made sense if they gone with the main event here. All that said, still good match. Uh, I like the post-match angle. Jericho Tanahashi, we'll see. Um, they we'll see tanahashi will bring it we we know tanahashi will bring it he's great working underneath he always brings that fire and that that underdog uh tenacity and jericho is great at talking shit and getting people interested in that way the actual match and the technical ability of the match we we will see yeah and yeah i see i've seen a lot of people that say this match sucked and I don't think it sucked at all. I, I thought, like I said, it was very good. I liked a lot of the stuff they did. The problem was is, and you brought up, is Jericho is starting to show that he has lost some steppage. And that's because you know he comes in and he has that absolute fucking great match with Omega. And then he had a really great match with Naito. And now back-to-back matches with Omega and Okada... Two of the best in the world. Those efforts were definitely not on the same level as the Omega and uh, Naito matches from last year and stuff. So it's starting to fade. And I think you make a fair point about the formula for Jericho right now. It is feeling a little long in the tooth and repetitive. And, I mean, it does differentiate him from pretty much everybody else and stuff. And that is good. But, again, it's like you can kind of only do so much with that style right now. And while I appreciated the fact that the Okada match was different than normal, I just, um, yeah, I'm not as excited for Jericho versus Tanahashi as I thought I would be. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fine because you know, Jericho, he wants to work with all these guys and Tanahashi is, is going to play Tanahashi. So, that's fine. I worry that if it is like an ODQ match, it's going to feel sort of the same way that these Jericho matches have just continued to, to feel. And no knock on, on Chris Jericho, but in 2019, like he's not as good as Jay White. And we've sort of seen Jay White play that like dick to Tanahashi where he's just antagonizing the arm and without sort of even the the um no dq aspect but he gets uh gato involved with the um to 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 help create that extra heat there and he you know attacks the arm on the outside or just attacks the man on the outside in, in general and like we we've seen that and it's good because jay white is can still go in other ways and, and be great with tanahashi like if jericho kind of does a a low rent Jay White without the sort of the technical abilities of a 2019 Chris Jericho, it's just gonna it's gonna fall kind of flat, I think. And I think again, completely fair assessment. And um, 
it's not like Jericho is bad. It's just it's he's what, 48 years old. Yeah. I mean, no, he's not bad at all. The man is a, a legend, but he's also he's he's old. And when you're 48, you don't move like you're 28. Fuck, I'm I'm 30 and I have trouble getting out of bed and walking upstairs just from after a, a day at the gym. Like the next day, I fucking feel terrible. I can't imagine being 48 and wrestling all these years and training and then trying to go out there and, and wrestle a, another match. Like he's 48 years old. This isn't to, to knock the guy or, or say he's bad. He's still having good matches. Just a year and a half ago against Omega, he, he had quite possibly the best match of his career. But he's he's older. He doesn't move as well. Yep. So fair enough. We will move on real quick. We uh kind of joked about this the other day, but I have uh, explored it a little more. The Will Ospreay Dragon Slaying Tour. <laughs> I have booked the lineup here. And these are the men that Will Ospreay needs to face next to officially crown himself the Dragon Slayer of all Dragon Slayers. First of all, there is Retail Dragon. (laughs) There is Dragon Dragon. There is Dragon Kid. There is Drago. Alright, that's a good match. If we can get him out of retirement, there's Super Dragon. Gotta get Super Dragon out of retirement. The last dragon, Bruce Leroy. <laughs> Leoto the Dragon Machida. Great match. Dark Dragon, which is the former Pentagon Jr.'s uh, old name. Oh, that's a good match, too. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Probably be great. Ultimo Dragon. Would definitely be great. And last but not least... The American fucking dragon, Brian Danielson. <laughs> I think that match would be pretty good. That's right. So that's what we need right there. That is the Will Ospreay Dragon Slang Tour. I am all for it. Throw money at me. I'll start a GoFundMe. We'll try to book <laughs> Willie for this. Uh, big match Willie would deliver for us, I'm pretty sure. What would Will Ospreay's average star rating for that run be? Dude, I'm pretty sure he could get three stars out of Bruce Leroy, okay? That might be his, his toughest one of, of dragging a good match out of is, is Bruce Leroy. Sam Arcady called him the worst fighter of all time on, on the UFC roster at one point. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the dude from the movie. Oh, well. The movie, I think The Last face, Dragon. I think you should face both now. Okay, fine. He can face both Bruce, Bruce Lee Roy's. That's like 12 matches now. <laughs> that works. So, to close up, Jeremy, we uh, talked. The G1 is looking pretty exciting already. Obviously, we don't have the full lineup. We can speculate on a lot of names. But what we know after today is we have Shingo making his G1 debut. Big John Moxley making his G1 debut. Kenta coming in for the G1. It looks like Will Ospreay is in for the G1, and it looks like Jeff Cobb is in for the G1. That is five fresh names and just a ton of potential right there. So just uh, early thoughts. What do you? What's, what's your vibe on this year's G1? I mean, you just named the, the fresh names. We know we're going to get the, the big New Japan staples in there who can all have great benches. Like, 
it seems like they're cutting out some filler this year. Uh, Tamatanga is not going to be in it. He brought down the, the G1 in a big way last year. I, I don't know if like Makabe is going to be in it, Toro Yano. I, these guys probably do still need to be in it, at least Yano, because you know that's a night off and you can't just go out there and have these banger matches every single night, especially like you're getting that third match or you're getting that fourth match in three nights and it's like, ooh, this is going to be a tough one to to get through here with after the first two matches I had. So you need those nights off and I'm sure there will still be those night off guys in there. But overall, they're trimming a lot of fat off of off of this G1 and just going like straight with it with the the lineup. Like you mentioned, those guys we're, we're going to get Tanahashi, who we write off, and then he comes out and has the the best tournament of his career. Okada, Jay White, um, Big Tom, Ibushi, Naito, Ishii, like all these guys on any given night can have the best match of the night and I, I teased maybe Omega doing this I don't think it's gonna happen but we'll see I mean you, you never know if, if Omega is gonna come back and, and do a new Japan thing like coming back to the G1 would would seem to make a lot of sense for him it's just gonna be like it's going to be just a hell hell of a tournament yeah I am I am super excited already obviously we don't know the full field but uh yeah, definitely. I'm 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 feeling amped up already, and the the G1 is a, obviously a grind for the performers. It's a it's a grind when you watch every night and review and stuff too. But I love it every year, and um, I'm even more excited this year than than usual because again, we got Shingo, we got Mox, we got Kenta, probably Osprey, Jeff Cobb. I mean, just those fresh names. And like Jeremy said, if they're trimming out a lot of the fat, if if we're trimming out. You know, like the uh, the Makabe's and some and like the the Tamatongas and shit like that. Hopefully, Fale will probably be in it. But... Oh fuck! I hope not. Get him out of there too. <laughs> but uh, if we're trimming a lot of the fat, I think that's awesome. Yeah, and so. again, they they got to have some of those guys in there for for just the night off aspect because otherwise, then you might create almost a, a disappointment in some matches. Like if if you book. Osprey against Naito, it's like, okay, this is a great match. If it's their fourth match in three nights and Osprey just wrestle, wrestled Abushi and Moxley and Naito just wrestled Okada and Jay White, first off, that's a stacked block. Um, but you, you get my point there. Like That Osprey against Naito match could could be maybe underwhelming. So you need the Fales and, and the, the Yanos and the Makabes. Like you, you got to have two or three at least two because that that you know put one in each block to to at least give everybody that one night off um and then maybe even up at the four so you get two guys in the block to where it's like all right these are your two kind of guaranteed eight to ten minute match where you just go through the motions and it's whatever you play you play some hits and then you, you get out of it like they the fucking best of super juniors was was fairly stacked this year and you still had those guys where it's like this is your night off match. Everybody needs that. All right. So that's going to kind of wrap us up for today. So the, the short of the long is super showdown sucked and was probably the worst show of the year. 
Dominion yep. kicked ass and was one of the better shows of the year. Will yep. Ospreay's the fucking Dragon Slayer, and the G1 looks fucking lit as hell already, and we don't even know the full field. Double, yep. So that will uh, wrap us up for today. Uh, I am not sure. Jeremy and I will be back probably next week, actually. Later this week, Steve Cook and I will be up, and we'll be looking at a throwback uh, podcast. Looking at the night WWE blew six months of booking in 40 minutes, the night that (laughs) ECW joined the invasion. Uh, It'll be a good time as always. Remember, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share us around. We would greatly appreciate it. And if you have time, leave us a five-star review. For Jeremy, I'm Larry Zonka. Happy wrestling, everybody, and have a good week.